I'm Ray Barry, and this is the Audio Wave Cafe podcast. Coming up on this episode, my guest is singer Julie Bateman, probably better known for her years in Coventry's very successful band, Smacky. First, I'll bring you the latest music news and views, and I shine a spotlight on Detroit's legendary 60s recording studio, Hitsville, USA. Oh, and I'll be playing an original song co-written by Julie Bateman, Can't Keep Waiting. Uh, I think it's time to move on. Thirteen years ago, street artist Banksy approached a London-based covers band named Exit Through the Gift Shop and asked them to change their name, as there could be copyright issues because of an Oscar-nominated documentary film with the same name that Banksy had produced. In return, Banksy offered the band one of his artworks and hoped the band would use it as a backdrop when playing on stage. The work features the Grim Reaper sitting in a bumper car wearing a seatbelt with the words Brace Yourself inscribed on the car's bonnet. Well, the band weren't stupid. They quickly realised they should accept the offer and promptly had the art piece safely locked away. That's until earlier this year when they decided it was time they should sell it. And so the band were invited to fly over to Los Angeles just days ago and play at an auction for the artwork, which has just sold for over $2 million. <laughs> the band is donating some of the money, which is going to Music Cares, a music industry charity. Banksy didn't win an Oscar for his documentary, but he did make a nondescript covers band from London, rich and famous, and it's a great story. That was a smart move, guys. On March the 14th, Brian May, guitarist in Queen, was knighted by King Charles for services to music and charity. After being made a knight bachelor, he said, quote, I'm very happy, particularly because it was a king, which means a lot. Well done, Brian May. Or do we have to call you Sir Brian from now on? Ed Sheeran has revealed he's planning on working on new songs for an album to be released after his death. Eh? Who gets royalties for that? Anyhow, he said he would slowly be adding songs to the album project for the rest of his life. Hmm. Okay. He also said he still needs to prove himself, as he is still not taken seriously. You know, it surprises me how many top music stars have such low self-esteem regarding their musical abilities and achievements. They've got their gold and platinum discs, their abundant wealth. Do they really wake up every morning full of anxiety and fear? Finally, Pizza Express is launching its own record label. (laughs) Okay, called PX Records. The label will be focusing on jazz and soul recordings. One of the first will be by a soul pop band, Mama's Gun, which will be available for download, also on CD and vinyl. I think if the vinyl albums have a chicken and pepperoni pizza printed on both sides, that would make me buy one. And if the album was delivered inside a pizza box, well, that'd be the icing on the cake, wouldn't it? What a brilliant idea. I should give the record label a ring. My guest on this episode is singer, performer and songwriter Julie Bateman. Julie, thanks so much for joining me in my little studio. Thank you. You're welcome. And you've also brought along uh, John Hewitt, because we're we're good friends now, so I don't mind him being here. No, I'm That's a relief. When was the last time you did an interview, Julie? Oh, crikey. I don't think I have, actually, Ray. I think this is the first, so... (laughs) Oh. (laughs) Julie, what inspired you to take up singing? My father, when I was only sort of uh, three foot tall, 
Um, he was a, a great pianist and a singer. And he also did amateur theatre, amateur dramatics. And they did a lot of the sort of Gilbert and Sullivan, Oscars and Hammerstein shows, musicals, which I absolutely loved. And really sort of that was the way I wanted to go. Um, I don't know if anybody remembers, I'm going way back now, there was a dancing school in Coventry called Betty Patterson's School of Dancing. On the Billy Road. That's right. And I asked my mum and dad if I could go there. So I didn't really sort of get into that side of acting or singing at all. Um, my father was very sort of the proper job. You must get a proper job. So I, I kind of went into the secretarial field, but my dad always had me singing at home. So we'd either do duets to records or my father would play the piano. A song, because I've lost my father now, that always sort of gets me a bit emotional is Smile by Charlie Chaplin. Um, dad played it very well, taught me to sing it. Um, and I was probably about 10 at the time, something like that. So, yeah, it was my father. What was your first band? My first band was actually a rugby band called Shaper. And they were a reggae stroke, a little bit of ska, but really more more reggae. And um, I walked past the West Indian Club in rugby one afternoon, uh, which I think is where Central Surgery is now. Heard this band and thought, wow, you know, that sounds great. And I stuck my head in the door and they sort of stopped. And I thought, oh, crikey, they've stopped. I'm really, really sorry. I'm so sorry. And and they beckoned me in and said, can you sing? I said, well, I think so. So they said, join in. They sort of threw a mic at me. I joined in and that was it. I was part of Shaper. And we did sort of get on TV. We did a, a program called Rockers Roadshow. Uh, there is a DVD, which I only found out recently you can buy on eBay. <laughs> <laughs> And a very nervous sounding Julie on it, so <laughs> so that was my first um, first TV appearance, I think. You had once been in Smacky, a commentary band, one of the top show bands in the country. How did you find the experience? A brilliant experience. It was a great apprenticeship for for going forward. Um, obviously, Smacky was a, a big show band, a cabaret show band, so. You learnt dance routines. You were on and off doing costume changes, a wide spectrum of material and songs. I've always seen it as a great apprenticeship. I was with them for four years and I think really I just burned out in the end. It was a lot of travelling. You could be in Scotland one night, Cornwall the next and Germany, you know, the bases. We did a lot of the RAF, the American Lake and Heath. And again, Germany, you could be sort of the top end of Germany and the same night your ferry's going and you've got to get to the bottom end of Germany or the middle, I can't remember where it was. Um, so I, I think after four years it was, and I was young, that's the problem. If you if you had a crystal ball and look back, you go, mm, why did you leave? But <laughs> it, it was just the fact that I was very young and I started to think I was missing out on things. So you had enough of all that travelling? I'd had enough of the travelling. Yeah. Um, I was quite young and um, I think I, I sort of, at that age, felt I was missing out on family parties and going out with friends and I'm so tired from all of this travelling and, you know, there must be more to, to life than going up and down the country all the time. So, But as you say, maybe if you 
had a crystal ball, you'd think, well, why, why didn't I just stick with it, you know? In 2007, the government introduced a smoking ban, which included pubs and nightclubs. Did that impact the band's income? I wasn't actually with Smacky then. I'd actually left. But certainly the work I was doing at the time, yes, it made a huge difference. Being self-employed, gigs were being cancelled last minute, which is your income, your mortgage has got to be paid, etc. And I had to make the decision at that point to no longer be self-employed. So it did make a big impact on not just me, everybody in the music industry, really. It impacted working men's clubs, pubs, not so much theatres because you don't really smoke in the theatres anyway, but certainly the pubs and the clubs were impacted. After Smacky, you formed a duo called Fate, in which you recorded a song, I Can't Keep Waiting For You. Did you write it? I did, and there's quite a funny story behind that. I was with Steve for 10 years, and... We were talking about writing material and, of course, I, I've always sort of sat in my bedroom and written lyrics with a tune in my head. And it was a bit of a challenge. He said, you couldn't write your own song. And I said, uh, yes, I can. And, of course, this song, um, he he's going to kill me for this. <laughs> he never asked me to marry him in the 10 years. I then wrote this song called I Can't Keep Waiting For You. <laughs> I had the tune in my head, I had the lyrics, uh, but I don't play an instrument. So I did know a very good friend, Paul Civil, and went along to him. We'd been in a band previously, a few years back, and told him my idea. I had a, a kind of drum feel from a Mariah Carey song. I said, I sort of want it a bit like this and a bit like that. And Paul was an excellent keyboard player and came up with all of the, the chords for me. What happened to the song? What did you do with it? Nothing. I'm still waiting. <laughs> How appropriate is that? I can't keep waiting. I'm still waiting. It's been sent off to Steps. Um, not Kylie, but it is their kind of, that kind of feel, that, that kind of vein. Um, but then who knows? I mean, somebody wrote um, the Cher song, Do You Believe in Life After Love? 10 years prior to its release in a shed in the garden. Um, but you never know what somebody's going to do with your song. You know, I, I could still pass that song over and it would get a completely different feel with somebody else. So who knows? Who knows? I never got a reply from Steps anyway. You're also an extra in Only Fools and Horses, 1996 Christmas Day special, the Batman and Robin episode, my favourite. <laughs> What do you remember about it? It was a really fun day. Um, obviously, David Jason was there and uh, Nick, Nicholas Lindhurst. Um, we, it was filmed in London in a huge um, Victorian Georgian house. I'm not sure which. And we were sort of waiting to do the scene where they burst through the doors. So we were the side of the doors before they burst in. And if you remember, David Jason has got crazy string. And of course, they fly in and this string is going all over the place. And um, he was actually making jokes before we opened the doors because he knew we had to be deadly serious and not smile. And sort of he was making sure that he made us laugh with just various cracks and various jokes and absolutely lovely guy, lovely guy. 
You've also been in Soul Junction, who were previous guests on a podcast episode. Did you find it an enjoyable experience singing Soul? I did, yes. It was a, another first for me. There were probably two or three songs in the set I had done before, um, but then obviously things I hadn't covered before. Um, it was actually John Hewitt who who's here today. John, <laughs> say hello, John. Oh, yeah. John and I have sort of been friends for years and uh, we caught up one day and he said, oh, we're looking for a singer. Why don't you come down to Coventry Rugby Club and have a go, um, you know, and show them what you can do sort of thing. So I did go down, but I'd actually got a gig that evening myself. So I flew down there at five o'clock, did about three songs and flew off again, basically. Um, but yeah, it, it was great. And then the guys all said, you know, absolutely great. Would you join us? Which I obviously I said, of course. And I stayed with them. How long was I with you, John, in the end? 2018 to 2021. Right. Yeah. yeah Longer than I thought then. 52 yeah. 52 gigs. 52 gigs. 52 wow. Gigs. Wow. 52 gigs. And had a blast. Great, great time. When I was with Soul Junction, I was actually working as a receptionist full time. So we were gigging at the weekends, basically. The pandemic hit and I was faced with redundancy after 12 years. So I took another job. But unfortunately, that job required weekend work. So I did a bit of soul searching and thought I, I, I've got to be fair to the guys and say that, you know, I, I'm going to be basically unpredictable as far as gigs go. I don't know whether I can do them all. And at the time, um, there was one gig I couldn't do. And um, a, a lady called Meg stepped in. Meg had been in the band previously. And I actually said to Declan, I sent him a message and said, look, with the situation, why don't you see if Meg would like to join because I, I think I'm going to be unreliable. Um, so that's what happened. They asked Meg. Meg was happy to join again. So it was kind of a, a forced hand, really, with, with having to, to leave Soul Junction. John still makes me a coffee and something to eat. and <laughs> Three-course dinner. <laughs> Three-course meal, yeah. <laughs> I've never even had a sandwich off John. I've <laughs> <laughs> got myself in now, <laughs> Are you still performing? I am, but not as much because of the weekend work. So during the pandemic, um, I did um, basically, I was in a duo with a guy called Jamie where we do just use backing tracks. But during the, the lockdown, we I did a lot of lockdown sessions with um, a rugby chap, Martin Higgs, Martin Higgs, sorry. And he's, a, again, an excellent keyboard player. And we were just doing half hour sessions during the lockdown. Um, we started off as one girl and the piano man and then felt that people were getting the wrong impression as to what we did because we do 70s, 80s disco. So we changed the name to Cool Collaboration because we found that one girl and the piano man was a bit misleading. I'm trying at the moment to keep it to one a month maximum. So it's to keep my hand in, it's to keep singing. Unfortunately, it's got to work around the other job at, at, the, at the moment. Well, for, for the foreseeable future, really. Which is a shame. It is. It is. But I am a lot older as well. So. <laughs> uh, OK. <laughs> Where can we hear some of your recorded music? Um, you can hear on YouTube. Cool Collaboration are on YouTube. Um, 
Julie Bateman is on YouTube. And there's obviously various videos on my Facebook page as well um, of songs I've done, including the I Can't Keep Waiting, that, that's on there as well. So, yes, if people just sort of search the name Julie Bateman or Cool Collaboration, they should be able to find something. When you look back on your music career, are there any particular highlights? There's so many. I guess the highlight is I was privileged to work in some wonderful places with whatever band I was with. You know, Soul Junction did some lovely venues. Smacky did some incredible venues. Obviously, some gigs with Smacky were great because you would do a sergeant's mess and then you would be having champagne breakfast at six o'clock in the morning because that's what they did. <laughs> so, yeah, it, it, it was an incredible experience and it, it, it allowed me to travel. And there must have been some uh, great musicians that uh, you play with. I work with some great musicians. And of course, the, the another highlight was actually doing the resurrection of King with King Phoenix. Um, we did the Godiva Festival. We did um, Let's Rock in Bristol. Um, again, I got that through a friend of mine. Um, and we just sort of we, we did about three gigs with that, but it was it was purely just to sort of I think get the songs out there again. And of course John was with King. John Hewitt was with King as well. So that that was quite, you know, one of my highlights as well. I, I really enjoyed that. Getting on to the Godiva Festival and Let's Rock, you know, wow. <laughs> Brilliant. Well, it's a good moment to end this interview. Julie, thanks so much for being my guest. You're welcome. Thank you. It was on West Grand Avenue, Detroit in 1959 that songwriter Barry Gordy bought a house in which he moved his family to an upper floor flat. On the ground floor, he installed a recording studio with state-of-the-art recording equipment paid for with a loan of $800. The remaining ground floor space would be turned into offices for the new Motown Record Corporation. It was Barry Gordy's vision to provide a platform for mostly black Americans to record a new sound labelled Motown, and he was so confident of his success that the front of the house proudly displayed a large sign saying, Hitsville, USA. In the coming years, on his Tamla Motown record label, he would bring the likes of Smokey Robinson, Stevie Wonder, The Supremes, Marvin Gaye, The Jackson Five and many more, to an international audience with hits like I Heard It Through the Grapevine, I Second That Emotion, My Sharia More, and The Tracks of My Tears. Barry Gordy had decided to model his record company on the Lincoln Mercury car plant assembly line he had worked on in the mid-50s, and used the assembly line concept of quality control to, in his words, where a kid off the street could walk in one door, an unknown, and come out the other, a recording artist. Gordy's hit factory had its own in-house songwriters, dance and etiquette teachers, producers and backing musicians, and by early 1961, its first million-selling single was a miracle's hit, Shop Around. After years of producing hit after hit, Gordy permanently closed the Hitsville offices and recording studio and moved to Los Angeles, where he wanted to break into TV and films. With the move away from Detroit, the magic of Motown also started to fade. Some of the artists and backing musicians, such as the Funk Brothers, had declined to follow Gordy to LA. There was also more competition from rival record companies, and Motown lost its ability to develop new upcoming stars. And so it was in 1988 that Barry Gordy sold the Motown Record Corporation 
to MCA Records and Boston Ventures for $61 million. And that same year, Barry Gordy was inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, and many other accolades have followed. In November this year, he will be 95 years old, and his original Hitsville USA house in Detroit is now a museum. But it was in those early years when it was his wish that his brand of soul music would help break down racial barriers in bringing together black and white music fans in the middle of a Motown music. Coming up is an original track co-written by Julie Bateman and Paul Civil, who's also playing keyboards with Julie Bateman on lead vocals. Can't keep waiting.
Keep Waiting by Julie Bateman and Paul Civil. Many thanks to Julie for being my guest. On the next episode, my guest will be songwriter and music producer Harry Pentony, originally from Leicester. I think that's about it. Uh, Yeah, it is. I'm done. Till next time.